Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now, and so happy you're here today. I am beyond grateful and so appreciative of anyone who listens to our Grief Recovery Now podcast. I've mentioned this before, and this was one of the gifts of doing this podcast. I thought I'd just be in the United States, or we would just be in the United States, but we're all over the world. The other day, we were in Beirut, New Zealand. Oh my God, my goal was always to connect to the world because I believe we're all one and we all experience this life, whether grief, happiness, sorrow, whatever it is. We all have loss in common, death, birth, all this, all that life has to give us. And we each are in this together. I believe that collectively, whether we know it or not, or feel it or not. Well, I usually start now, and I mentioned this last podcast that I always talk about my thoughts. And I last week, I thought it was going to be called Off the Cuff with Charlene Gorzella. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with me today. And everything I do is connected to something I am interested in and how I want to contribute to the world. I just got a grant this last few weeks. I've been doing a program called Positive Intelligence. And Positive Intelligence is, isn't People are talking today about how you could be too positive, toxic positivity that, you know, you're just, they used to call it being Pollyanna-ish. And I used to be called that. But there is an intelligence to being positive. And this one talks about the neuroscience of it. And let me tell you a little bit about it with this positive intelligence. It is where you work with the saboteurs. And saboteurs are the judge the avoider, the controller, the hypervigilant, the hyperachiever, the avoid, I think I said avoider, the sticklers, and there's like 10 of them, right? So those are things that can hamper us from living full lives and having relationships that can be at its deepest level, whether it be work or play, business-wise, and just our relationships with ourselves. I know myself, I could be the biggest judge of myself. And in turn, if I'm judgmental with myself, I'm judgmental with others. What does this have to do with grief? This has a lot to do with unresolved grief and incomplete grief. My goal with grief recovery, I'm a grief recovery method specialist, and I do the grief recovery method, which is an evidence-based program. And while in the podcast, I know there are many, many paths to grief recovery. And that's why I have such a wide variety of, of guests for my our listeners. So anyways, and what we want to do is go from saboteur to sage. And sages come from love in all that they do. In situations 
losses, especially devastating losses, why we grieve. And being in grief is a sage experience. It's not a saboteur. A lot of people think they have to hide their grief. Grief, true grieving comes in the heart and not from the head. And so that's when you are in your sage. And I can go on and on about this, but I want to get to our guests. And the reason why I talked about positive intelligence is that I believe our guest today, Kat Williams, her full name is Catherine Curry Williams, but we're going to call her Kath, reminds me of positive intelligence and how she has gone through some of the most, one of the most devastating losses that a mother or family or husband and father can ever go through and beyond that. And so we just thought I'd talk about that today and how she went forward very powerfully in her grief recovery and how she walks in the world today that one of the biggest losses has forever changed her for the better. And I'm not saying without the grief and the grieving, because as I said before, this is a sage experience. So please help me welcome Kat. But before that, I am going to talk a little bit about her. Catherine Cat Curry Williams co-founded the She Angels Foundation after a lifetime of proactive philanthropy. Following the loss of her son Shane in 1997, this Brooklyn native founded Shane's Inspiration, a global nonprofit which creates inclusive playgrounds and educational programs that promote inclusion for children with disabilities. Through these parks and programs, Kat fulfills her mission to unite children of all abilities through play, compassion, and kindness. For her dedication and impact in communities throughout the world, Catherine has been honored by countless philanthropic organizations such as L'Oreal Paris, Women of Worth, March of Dimes, Good Housekeeping Magazine, KCET-TV, Lifestyle Magazine, the City of Los Angeles, and the State of California, which recognized her as one of their 2018 Women of the Year. Catherine is a Huffington Post contributor and author of the book, Yes, You Can Use Your Hormones as an Excuse, A Humorous Look at Midlife. And besides that, I know when I went through my menopause, which no one tells me, told me, I went through a lot of emotion. There was grief in, with my hormones as they changed. So someone going through that, please take a look at it. You're not going nuts. She is also the co-founder of the Women with a Purpose Conference, where kindred spirits gather to thrive, inspire, and evolve. Kat lives in LA with her husband, NCIS writer, executive producer, Scott Williams, their beautiful daughter, Grace, and their three adorable dogs. So please help me welcome Kat. Welcome, Kat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I just so appreciate your, your making this platform for others to share and listen to about grief. For me, 25 years have passed, and some days it was it's like a day. But you feel like, well, I shouldn't say anything, and there's no place to lo- listen and talk to others. If there are, it's not right available like you're having this year where I can go to your podcast and I could just listen to someone else and and know that I'm not alone. And it takes different forms and we can move through it. We can live side by side with it, with other emotions. And so I really want to make sure I 
let you know how grateful I am that you created this platform and and to be here today is I don't know what what to say or what I'll say. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's no words, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it's an honor to have you. And you are a powerful voice and a force in this world and for women, especially, which I love. And, and I know for many powerful in many levels, and I don't mean, well, I, I want to say like super powers. So many of us are, are superheroes here. We may not be Marvel characters, but there's some, you change people within. And I love that. So and before we got here, as you know, we talked about what happened, what it was like, and where you are today? Well, twenty it's 25 years ago this coming March that mm-hmm. I went to give birth to my n- nine-month great pregnancy. All tests were A-OK and going in to have a what we thought would be a normal childbirth and come home with our beautiful baby boy. We knew it was a boy. We had his name, Shane. We had his room ready, like, like any couple that is excited to bring home their child. And I had, when he was born, I, sometimes I just don't know where to, how to begin. He at birth, he was just out of the womb. And, um, my doctor, who's a brilliant, brilliant doctor, he just thought he was very tight. Well, as it, I mean, very, it was kind of a little hard getting him out of the birth canal because what, as it turned out, he was paralyzed. We knew nothing other than he did not breathe, and he was whisked away right in front of me to the NICU. Um, where what my, is the NICU? The uh, neonatal intensive care unit at Cedars-Sinai, because okay. we're here in Los Angeles. I gave birth in Los Angeles. And and there I was, just given birth and somewhat in shock, and they are like, here's your baby boy. He looked beautiful. I The, 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 the NICU nurse was wonderful to me and whisked away. And then I was like, to my husband, go. And there I was, literally, it happened like that. It happened like that. You know, after six hours of labor, not so long, but it's seven o'clock almost in the morning. So you had nine months of just a beautiful pregnancy and just talking about your dreams and hope for your child. I mean, that that is you know, my first child. That was my first child. And I was 36 years old and I was ready to take on the world with my son in tow. And that was that. I never thought of anything like that that would happen. And reliving the moment every time I think about it is... It's shocking again, and I can I go right back there to how that moment changed mine and my husband's life that instant. And um, how did it change it? It changed yeah. it because here was a territory that we had never embarked on, and we we didn't know any. There were no stories being told to us. Hey, I lost my child. No one, no one had ever mentioned that. Well. Two weeks after he was born, we lived in the hospital with him. He didn't, they didn't know what he, so he was taken away to the NICU, but he was, all we knew at this moment is that he was paralyzed and they didn't know what was wrong with him. And after two weeks of tests and blood work and DNA and blood from us, blood from him, they didn't know what it was. And it was diagnosed on day around 10 and 13 days that it was a fatal genetic disorder that my husband and I both carry, which we 
didn't have a clue. It's called spinal muscular atrophy. We never heard of it. Our family started in the hospital looking what that meant and how could this be? Are there rare things? Could it be cured? It was all sort of a blur for me, but I was the blessing was I was able to stay in the hospital, in my hospital room, and see Shane 24 hours a day if I wanted to. I would go down and stay in the NICU. I would be able to hold him with tubes attached because he didn't breathe on his own. And day 13, we had taken him off the respirators and all the monitors because it was... Uh, it was devastating, but we couldn't, there was nothing but turning him. There was, there was, there was the only, act, he had activity of moving his eyes. I mean, he was beautiful and seven pounds and, but there was no recovering from this. And the minute the tubes were taken from him that, that were keeping him alive, he, he passed. And our decision to, I don't know if it was our decision really to have the tubes removed. I think it was, um, It was the right thing for us, and we both agreed that that was artificial and not a life, and we gave all the love that we had. We had family members come and, and meet him in the, in the NICU and uh, meet him by just looking at him, and I, I would say that not an ounce of love was bypassed. He was there, and we got to we got something from that, however it is. For him, if, at one point, it, I came to some uh, some peace with feeling that if he came to this earth to be loved, well, in spades, in two weeks, he received that. And for a lifetime of 24, five years, because I did not know then what we would do in for him and his legacy and uh, what was it like walking out of the hospital how did you do they talk about people when you you lose children and i know it wasn't a child you had for a long time you had him for two weeks but he was also you had a relationship with him even before he was born yeah. i'm sure percent nine months that relationship the the uh, also the grief of not having more of a relationship if you knew Someone sent me a poem saying, if you know that, and I believe in God and the universe, and I believe in something bigger than us, whoever you want to call it, it is up to you. But I was, I was certainly mad and, uh, and upset with the universe and God, and I made that very clear. Um, but I got a poem from my mother-in-law's friend who I didn't know. And it said something about if God had asked you to, for nine months, hold this child, but you're going to have to give him back, but this is something I need you to do. Would you do it as a, as a something that- Part of the soul's purpose or- For a purpose that I need this, would you do it? And I said, yes. And then I, started looking at things that way that I had this what was the purpose you know I, I, let me just say leaving the hospital was beyond devastating I don't remember walking I think I was uh, more or less just carried out in, in the car and I got home and I spent literally almost a year in Grace's, in um, no, that's my daughter, in my son's, Shane's room that we had prepared for him, 
crying and grieving and being angry and, uh, and lost and writing letters to God about how could you and writing letters to Shane about how are you and writing and receiving letters and, and love from so many. We had such a beautiful community of friends who were, who all, they were there for us, but I just, I had to do something that I've never done before because I'm a person that's out there. I had to go in and understand this or not understand it. I just had to process it. And it took me a long time. I didn't really want to see people and couldn't understand every time, like six months in, my husband and I would do watch something or have someone over. You know, I really didn't, I, I wasn't completely secluded, but for the most part, but then I would have happy feelings and then I would feel guilty that I was happy. And I had a great therapist. And at some point she said to me, you know, I I get that you feel that you don't think happiness and sadness, like joy and sadness can live side by side. And I was like, well, no, I, I felt happy. I feel so guilty that I'm happy. She said, I just want to lift that burden from you because those can live side by side. It's okay. And the cloud started to dissipate a little bit. It was still there. I was then understanding that, understanding what that meant. And there was hope. And then I was, and then the, the crack, you know, and I knew that I wanted to go to the side of hope. I, I, who I am and going to that side felt right. Okay. Let me see more of that. And during that time, might have now been nine months in, I got a a letter from my sister-in-law, Mickey, who who now has passed at way to talk about grief. She passed at 52. Mm-hmm. Was, she was the gift in finding this article in the Connecticut newspaper that said someone named Amy Barzak is doing something in memory of her son and he just passed away from spinal muscular atrophy. And first of all, she sent the article going like, oh my God, we never heard of spinal muscular atrophy before. Now right here in my, so she sent the article so she would help help me re- see that there it was relatable. And I said, can you find this person's name? And she found the person's name and the phone number and the contact from, because she used to be in the, production business. So she knew how to go and find someone from Connecticut paper. And I called this woman, Amy, and we grieved together for several hours on the phone. And the relationship that was made was a club that we don't want to be in, but we found ourselves in. And she talked about her son, uh, Jonathan, and he was nine months old and, and their journey. And we just gave each other a lot of love. And then we talked about what project she was doing, which was called Boundless Playground. She was building a playground for children with disability in, in the Jewish community center in her neighborhood. So all children can play side by side because what happens with spinal muscular atrophy is children become paralyzed. And my son Shane was at an advanced stage when he was born. Her son, usually at nine months, the stages, they, they stop moving their feet and it works up to paralyzed and then they can't move their neck. Shane was born where it was already 
there, so he passed so early. Nine months is um, common for SMA. And so she had him home for nine months, and this is, it's all hard. And and how, isn't that something you, and this is for our grievers out there and our listeners, who themselves going through the same thing or a loved one, and you were able to reach out. You had the strength and the wherewithal to reach out to someone because so, so many times there's a myth, you grieve alone. I'm not saying you don't have your alone time, but grieving alone is sometimes a myth we've learned from childhood through a mother who may be grieving a father, your dad, and they go, just let her be. Right. People don't talk about it and connect. Communal grief, especially, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same, same, but you had the same at that time you needed that. Yes. And, and I think it's important because I wasn't going to grief groups. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't ready to go out. But if you're available, like when I saw that cloud lift a little bit, I guess I became more available. You know, no, you know, if you know yourself a little bit and your process, even though you don't know this particular process, but you know yourself, I listened and I and, and it was a word, you know. I, I something light bulb went off when I saw something good in her son's name, and then I got the spark of Do I want to sit here alone f- for years and 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 th- this way, or can my process move forward and can I do something good in my son's name? And it started um, lifting me and lifting my purpose. And lifting, you know, and I talked to her about what it was and I was, can I come to Connecticut? And we hopped on a plane and went to Connecticut and I saw what she was doing and and I thought it was so beautiful. And just that moment forward, I thought, well, how can I do this? So I called my friend Tiffany and I said, would you help me do this? It it evolved from, I was going to build one, how about one playground? What do you think of that? I, of course, talked, my husband was the first one and he was grieving as well, but he was able to go to work every day. He had just gotten this really great job that he would come home and be in and be at work in silent grief, and then come home and together, we would just be. And did you both grieve differently? We we grieved differently, but supported each other's uh, processes, and that was so so important because we did know that. Others that have lost a child could be a very, uh, a, you know, fighting. We did not fight. We had so much compassion for each other's grief and room. And for us, that was the key because we were just married. I was, I got pregnant on our honeymoon because I was like, this is the guy that I want to have a baby with. I didn't even know I, I didn't even know I wanted to have kids before that. I just, it was right. And I got pregnant. It was just, meant to be and I felt that and I didn't want to disrespect the love that we had and what we had brought I think both of us felt very similar to that to honor the loss and that meant to honor and respect each other regardless of the hard days and for such so early on in our marriage that was a big ask and both of us we both stepped up to the plate for each other, I guess we can say. And we're 25 years married now and going on our 26th year. And we have a fabulous 22-year-old. And I got pregnant three years later after grief after that because I, I had two 
miscarriages, one at 10 weeks and one at 11, one at eight weeks and one at 10 or 11 weeks. And that was devastating in its own because as I was coming out of my grief and I'm ready to do this again, going back how, how to get myself righted again to, to the strength and the courage to move forward after those miscarriages, which are losses, took, it definitely took the two of us. My husband was really great. It, it takes work. And uh, I think that's why our marriage is so wonderful now and had continued to be because we did a lot of work early on. And I have to say that that was a huge, huge blessing. And I'm, and I'm glad I didn't walk away during the rough times because there are times that you want to tell him to go of himself and and I'm sure for me too it's like come on get whatever in a moment where I'm good and he's not or he's he was angry he was angry and I was sad and that's how it is and well how was when he was like angry or down were you there to lift him up and vice versa I was there to I allowed him his anger and looked my best way to tell him not to be angry. I didn't not allow, I didn't stop him from being angry, but I tried to reflect the other side when I was on the other side. And I think when I was so sad and he was okay, he would reflect to me the, the side of we're going to do this. We can get through this. This is what, what's the greater picture. What's a great, you have to think of some, at some point I was like, I don't have faith anymore. I, you know, I was so angry and to a point where I realized without faith, Everything is empty, was empty for me. I had to believe something bigger than myself. So then if I was going to walk my talk and what else was bigger than myself was a plan in that I was either going to move forward with or be stuck in this moment for the rest of my life or evolve to what and be open to what will come. If I didn't take that path, I didn't take the path. I, I took a path maybe less traveled, but I knew that if there was more out there and this was a plan, then let me see where, where I can be of service and where can I help. And at that moment of doing, and I'm going to use the words, doing something good in his memory was of service. I threw my hat over the wall and there was no turning back as I was like, I was out here. I discovered that there were no playgrounds for children with disabilities to play side by side with their peers. Hey, Kat, can before we go on to that, this is something that you talked about, I think is going to help our listeners. Absolutely. When I talked earlier about positive intelligence, right? And I'm new at it, but this is what I'm getting because I've done a lot of different kind of work. You didn't judge him. I'm not saying you didn't have your moments or your husband didn't judge you. You were more like the supportive and not judging maybe empathetic, you know, there has some empathy, even though I'm sure you've had your moments because you're yep. human, so is me. But someone told me once what intimacy is. This is when I first got married, my first marriage. I said, what is intimacy? And this is from an ex-nun I talked to. I was at this retreat, right? It wasn't religious or anything. And she goes, I said, what is intimacy? She said, being willing to be influenced by another. And you were being willing Maybe, you know, we all push back, but you were willing to be influenced by your husband by giving you just another way to look at it and you for him. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. You need to have 
an open space because somewhere, like you said, I'm human. There were lots of closed times, but the more and more the open space and being willing changed and I saw a shift, it was counterproductive not to listen to feeling better and doing something good and receiving that. It's, it's important. I th- And I think what you're saying is open up to receive, receive there's a lot of good out there to receive too. So I love to give, but at this moment, I learned the idea of receiving, I think, in, in, this, in this part of my life, certainly, because I was a giver. And there are so many out there that are givers. And, and, and we love to give. My, one of my four sisters is a giver, and it's so hard for her to receive. And I've seen that through my whole life, my other sisters, my mother, and then myself. And then... I had nothing to give after I lost Shane, after we lost Shane. And I had to receive food. I had to receive lots of things that you receive, love and support. It opened up a door for receiving. And it was narrow in the beginning, but it opened and opened and opened. And receiving from my husband, his his empathy and all, even that empathy, needy. Oh, my God, I can't be that And at that time. But in doing so and looking to shift, not doing so and constantly doing, keeping the same place where I was at, as I was receiving, I was lifted and, and raised and that made me want to do more good. It was a symbiotic, is that kind of relationship with receiving, being being on the receiving end just made me full and I was able to give in such a way, as you said, 75 playgrounds later, I, all these years later, we did so good and we were going to build one playground. So all of that came from, yes, opening up first to my husband, then to a friend, then to somebody that gave, then someone who wanted it. You know, it was millions of dollars had to be raised, millions and millions and millions um, over so the- was the first one like? Like, you're just going to do this because you saw one- it was no idea it was going to grow like this, right? What was the first one like? But for people who feel like, oh, that's for them, whether you decide to do something like Kat and her husband did oh, with all the help, the people who have helped put this together, you started small, right? You started with one. That was your goal. It was really just my goal to build one playground in his memory, doing something good. So it was baby steps even if someone wants to do something good in someone's memory, like whatever you can imagine, if you go to the woods, it doesn't have to be a, a, a playgrounds around the world. That's that's not the intention that went into this. What intention went into this was a seed, a seed of I want to do something good in his memory. I need to respect his memory. So one little playground, whether it, it's going to be this big, but the seed grew because it was a critical unmet need and it grew and grew and grew to all these playgrounds. But I was just putting one foot in front of another. I asked one friend, I told another friend, I found out where, like you said, it takes a, it took a village, took a village. And this is by no worthy seed, but everyone else watered and made it go. And I asked and I went to people that I didn't know and asked them, I said, I don't know what I don't know. So can you tell me what I don't know? Cause I don't even know. Every day was, was a little, another little flower of 
happiness and goodness. When, when there's grief and there's loss, the other side of it by giving back was so powerful and so moving to me that, oh, now I'm feeling guilty because I feel so good. And so I can't say powerful in the way of physical power, but it's like, this is happening. People were attracted to having this happen. What's going on? It was something for so many others and so many families who have children with disabilities that couldn't play in the park because they, there's real no, there was no side-by-side play. Accessible did not do playable. And I did almost a year of due diligence before this came to fruition. And it took two years before we raised a million and a half dollars and Griffith Park, our first playground is in Griffith Park. And it's just, it, it grew from there because someone said, well, we're far away from Griffith Park, but could you build one over here? And they raise money. We we don't call all the playgrounds Shane's inspiration. We call them of, in memory of their child or someone that isn't in a wheelchair and wants to play with. So it evolved in, su- in such a beautiful way that it gave me life. It gave me purpose. It was the biggest gift. And 25 years later, I am still blown away by the gift of my loss and the grief by just opening up that day, that door, that yes, to I want to do something in his memory. It just changed my life, literally. But for the good, I'm so blessed to have have done that. And my mission is complete with Shane's inspiration. We've done so much, but Shane's inspiration itself is now evolved. The organization is even more powerful than ever, having more education programs than ever. I was able to step and create something new, She Angels Foundation, because now I had this skill set of all these years of being in a nonprofit world and and doing something good for so many families with children with disabilities. And it evolved to doing good for grandparents who wanted to play with their kids. It just one thing moved from the next. Today can be doing She Angels Foundation and we're giving grants. So I learned from what I liked about doing what I did and what I didn't like from doing all those skills. And now from this platform, know, I'm able to put a very powerful organization right to work and giving grants. In one year, we've given 14 grants to women founded and operated nonprofits supporting women and girls causes. Isn't that something? It's it. I would not have been doing this today. So I can't see my life any other way. I just love it. I, I tried going down other paths by being foolish and doing stupid things that didn't work very long for a very long time. You know, you what know, was what was stupid? Just could no. we get out of the nitty gritty? Like, what is it? Well, that's no, at, at first I thought, Oh, I'm never going to come out of this. I'm going to, I'm going to drink every day. And I tried, you know, and then I'd wake up and go like, Oh, okay. I can't drink every day. I can't, I can't, I have a hangover. I'm sick. I'm the, it's like, okay, well, damn, I was trying to destroy myself because I felt so unworthy from this grief and why did it happen to me? During that time, which I will call in Shane's bedroom, which finally became our first office for Shane's inspiration, Mm -hmm. by the way. We worked out of his office, out of his uh, bedroom became our office. But that bedroom housed a lot of 
punches and punches to myself and to the world and to, again, where can I find the path of destruction? Because why, poor me. And pour, I, me, pour me a drink. We call them short-term energy relieving behaviors. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I... Stopping, arguing, reacting. Yes. It's all kinds of things that we that do. That could have, uh, you know, that could have destroyed our marriage too. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things by the grace of God. And, and t- that's where at some point I turned around and had faith when I saw, okay, that's my, that's a better option for me. That's a better option. So I, I put all those letters aside. I, I was cathartic to write. Oh, and I, I have them, you know, and they were not nice to God and the universe and, and to everything and to me. And how could I've done this? Of course, you know, grief, especially losing a child. I think moms and maybe dads blame themselves. And that that's very, whether, what did I do in my pregnancy, even though it's completely illogical. And then there's all kinds of grief. After that, in nine years, I lost my sister-in-law, my best friend, and my my mom within nine years, uh, actually within 11 years, because then I had my daughter. And my daughter then lived a life of experiencing grief a lot. She's 22 now. I'm, I'm thinking of the timeline. It was when she was nine, my sister-in-law passed away, then she was 10, and my mother-in-law passed away and then she was 11 and my friend D passed away all at a fairly young age. My sister-in-law was 52. My mother was 79. So that was still young from, you know, vibrant mom. And my friend D was 65. And I said to her, because I could, I couldn't think of what to say to my young child. And she had a brother who passed. And I don't know if it was the stupidest thing anyone has ever said, (laughs) but to their nine-year-old daughter about love is all that came to my mind is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Mm-hmm. And then we had the discussion of how, how hard this is now because we love so deeply and that's who she is. Her compassion and her love is so, so deep. So it hurts so much. And, but we got so much love and we gave so much love. So that did you experience a deeper love through all of this? I changed love. I don't know if that's whatever word you would use about like you're deepening as a human and as a woman. Well, I from that point, you know, really started practicing the practices that I love and of course in miracles. Like after 10 years of working on the playground and being in nine to five, doing so much, so much, so much, I really needed to have my spiritual practice back and and see where all that tied in. And I realized, yes, there was a, a lot. What it gave me was less judgment, first of all, because I had lots of experiences where people would judge me because I didn't want to just talk to anybody. Didn't They didn't know that I just lost a child. If I had had to go to the store for something and I didn't put the cart back, someone said to me, well, what kind of person are you? And my, I, I came home crying and my husband ran out and uh, almost punched the guy at Gelson's because he made me cry because I was just broken. And from that moment forward, I judged less about others and walking their shoes. So when I started really diving deep into my spiritual practice, I realized the love and understanding and respect for life and where we're human, where that human ends and other possibilities begin, possibilities, 
started looking at everything a little bit differently. And I do now. I look at so much differently. And it's not like I don't hurt and I'm sad and I'm mad. And I have the days where I'm, I'm like, well, would I give all that up for having my son? And when I see my friends with the children of the two ages, I fight with my daughter or something. And I, so much comes up. Um, I don't, but I allow myself to visit it for a moment and then take that breath, uh, become mindful and, and then move forward with what I know and continue practicing. And they call it practice because you have to practice every single day to help keep yourself in a good direction or the direction that I feel that, that, that I'm, I live my best life. Your best life. How beautiful is that? Your own unique way. All yeah. losses are different and feelings are different. And what a beautiful way you expressed your grief, how you followed it, the mixed emotions that are so natural with grief and why you have had some completion and resolve through it all. I know you've helped people today. Now let's talk about how you got through it with our listeners. And I just want to talk about your She Angels Foundation a little bit for just a couple of minutes because the show's the podcast is almost, we're going to wrap it up. Well, I, lo I love this podcast and I love that you call it grief recovery now because it is, you have a choice, you recover or you don't recover and recovering. I can tell you and tell everyone out there, this is uh, recovering is the gift for yourself. Give yourself the gift of recovery in, in, in the process that you need, but being stuck, it, it doesn't serve anyone. It's certainly the least yourself. So and discovery is not recovery. I say this all the time. You can discover so much. And I love grief support groups and therapy. Well, your therapist sounds just awesome. But there is some work where you have to crawl out, not out of the grief, but like That's shit. That's the practice. part. <laughs> yeah. It's like it takes everything you got sometime and don't do it alone. Yeah. Call me, call support. I believe in the peer-to-peer -peer model. Oh, I do. And that's where She Angels Foundation comes in for what, why I love so much about it is that really we're, there's book clubs and we're a giving club. And, but we get women together and we have salons that are, it's a membership organization because in salons you meet all these great, and we keep them small, 30, 20, the maximum of 50. And we have speakers, but women get, women are so brilliant together and we are here to support each other and you so many things grow from that support whether it's a women's group whether it's an organization that gives grants so that get yourself get involved in that it is i heard jen sincero talk about that last night at marcy cole's first tuesday and she wrote you are a badass yeah she wrote you are a badass and five other a four book, five book. I, I have the books right here. You are a badass. How to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Then she has another one. You are a badass making money. She was in recovery in, her, in herself. In and you grieve when you're when you're forty years old, which was her thing. And you're in a tiny apartment. And what? Where did my life go? I mean, in so many different ways. But she said one of the most important things that got her out of the into recovery was being with other women and speaking about it. Because if you keep it all to yourself, well, then you keep on reminding yourself the same thing over and over, which is probably not the best advice, or you've already had that advice the day before and the day before that, the day before that. So not that people want to give advice, but if you just want to listen, 
groups of women are a perfect place. It's not one-on-one. You're, hmm. And so it goes. And come from a non-judging place, you know, wherever they're at. I remember one time I was in a meeting. A lot of people know I'm in program AA. And this woman said in her second year of sobriety, she cried her first whole year. And I was like, that won't happen to me. And I was in my first year. Well, that second year I was sobbing. I judged her like that won't happen. I feel great. I was on a pink cloud and you never know. Just get right in there and listen, be where they are as much as you can and honor them. Well, that is really important. Just sometimes just having a listening ear. I learned that to tell my friends, I'm here for a shoulder to cry on. I'm not going to fix it because I want to fix. Givers want to fix people and friends. You just want to and sisters because I have all of those. But it is the first thing that I tell them that they can call and I will just be a shoulder and I will shut up and I will just listen because we're always afraid to talk to somebody that's going to tell us how to make it better. And all we do is sometimes we just want to share it first. That's got to be the first step in the baby steps of recovery, right? For anything. Well, Kat, thank you. That rings so true to me and I hope to others, everything you talked about today, the suggestion and you sharing your experience, strength and hope with us. There's more to come. I know for you, happy you were on, honored that you were on and you are such a delight. I have to tell you. Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you. Wow. That went by fast. And Catherine, one of these days something happens. I would love to have you on the show again, but this was just so beautiful. And we're on all the podcast platforms. Kat, all her links are going to be on there, her bio and all that kind of stuff. And so you can get a little bit more of her and what she's about. And so she can be of service to you. Okay, everybody. See you next time. Peace and love. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts, and we will keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now, and if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash G-R-M-S forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.